1: company and other factors.
0: The following program is Sponsoruth Incorporated.
1: Today on Know the Truth, Philip de explains how Jesus Christ gives us a new perspective.
2: The man who worships God, the man who knows the God above the sun, in looking at the sun, he will see things that the man who lives under the sun without God doesn't see. Didn't John Newton put it this way in the hymn Amazing Grace? I once was blind, but now I see. When a man comes to know God, he sees things differently.
1: up now on Know the Truth, Philip de Corsi tells us that in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is feeding us salt in order to make us thirsty for God. It's a good analogy for framing our current study. Through Solomon, we're reminded that without God, the routine of life can leave us feeling dry and parched. And it's this very real feeling that draws us to God's well of love and grace. Here's Philip now, switching gears and presenting an interesting story to open today's message, the message titled, Going in Circles.
2: When Darrell Waltrip, the three-time NASCAR Cup Series champion, published his autobiography a few years back, he gave it the perfect title. I don't know if you've seen it. It was entitled DW, A Lifetime Going Round in Circles. See, that's what NASCAR drivers do. And they've done it from the inception of the sport at Daytona Beach to the First uh, Circuit that was uh, put together in 1954 on the runways of Linden Airport in New Jersey. NASCAR drivers spend their lives like Darrell Waltrip going round in circles, making nothing but left turns. And that's a lot like life, if you think about it. Darrell Waltrip's story is our story, isn't it? At times, our lives seem to be going round in circles. Yes, we look at the odometer. We look at the speedometer of our lives. We're clocking up the miles at quite a clip, but we don't seem to be going anywhere. I think you get that feeling on a Monday morning that that you've been here before. Despite all your best efforts of the previous 7 days, despite all your planning, despite your renewed resolve, It seems that you haven't traveled very far. We push forward only to be pushed back. Oh, our life is in gear. We're committed, we're passionate, we're purposeful, but still our wheels spin. We make a series of left turns only to find ourselves on a Monday morning where we were the Monday morning before. David Jeremiah in his book on Ecclesiastes, Heaven and Earth has this great quote, Life sometimes feels like you're running a marathon on a treadmill. Isn't that the truth? In fact, Solomon shares that feeling and is troubled by that thought. Solomon has already stated that life under the sun, that is, life apart from an understanding of Genesis, from an understanding of God, that kind of life... In a world without windows to another world, that kind of life is fruitless and futile. In fact, Solomon poses the question in verse 3, What profit has a man for all his labor in which he toils under the sun? Men and women invest their days with a lot of toil, a boatload of thought, to such marginal gains. What does life under the sun allow us to enjoy as a lasting achievement? Not much, if you think about it. For example, the incoming tide of death will flatten and wash away the sandcastle of our lives. As one generation passes away and another generation comes. That's the point here in verse 4. One generation passes away and another generation comes. And so technically speaking, Solomon in these verses is proving his point. As to the tantalizing and temporary nature of life, under the sun. Despite man's best efforts, he has little to show by way of advancement and achievement for his business and his busyness under the sun. Life seems to give back so little, yet it seems to take and ask so much. And so in verses 4 through 11, Solomon makes his point. And in verses 4 through 7, he draws several examples from the natural world. And then in verses 8 through 11, he musters some more examples from human experience to prove the point that at times life seems pointless. A going round in circles, a series of left turns that, that gets you nowhere. You do what you do, only to do it again with nothing to gain in the end. Solomon is saying in soccer terms that life sometimes is a lot of ball passing, not an awful lot of goal scoring going on. And so we want to come and pick up his uh, train of thought. We're going to look at life in its monotony, verses 4 through 7. We're going to look at life and its misery, verses 8 through 9. And we're going to look at life and its mortality, verses 10 through 11. Aren't you glad you came to hear about monotony, misery, and mortality? But remember, Solomon is feeding us salt to make us thirsty for God. He wants to make us sick so we'll seek the great physician. So keep that in mind as we now begin to look at life and its monotony Verses 4 through 7. One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again to its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full to the place from which the rivers come. They return again. All things are full of labor. Life has given Solomon a a bad taste in his mouth. The merry-go-round of daily routine has turned his stomach. It's making him sick of life. In the midst of life's exchanges, nothing seems to change. That's what the preacher's trying to get across here. One day's activity added to another day's activity doesn't add up to much at the end of the day. What profit does a man have for all his labor in which he toils under the sun? I like the story of the two boys that went to the fairground. As one was getting off the merry-go-round, the other, who had refused to ride, it snapped at his friend and said, Look at you. You spent all your money. You get off where you get on, and you ain't been anywhere. (laughs) It's a parable of life. Sometimes we feel like a NASCAR driver. We're just making a series of left turns. And to make his point, Solomon Puts on the hat of an historian, an astronomer, and a meteorologist. And I want to look at this for a few moments. In verse 4, Solomon's an historian. As Solomon thinks of the never-ending tides of humanity, with one generation coming in and one generation going out, he's struck by the contrast between the earth that abides and the transitory temporary existence of man. And he finds that rather depressing, rather disconcerting, Remember what his father said? David, 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. David's about to die. And what does he say to his son and those who are listening? I go the way of all men. It all comes round to this. Life is a series of births and deaths and births and deaths. I want you to notice the Hebrew participles here? They're interesting. This text points to a constant cycle of going, coming, and remaining, right? One generation goes, another generation comes, and the earth remains. Going, coming, remaining. But it's not us that remains. It's the earth that remains. Here today, gone tomorrow, and no one seems to notice the world gives silent, cold witness to your passing along with your generation. And how vain is that? How empty, how challenging is that? Listen to Jerome where, when he says, What is more vain than this vanity that the earth, which was made for human beings, stays, but humans themselves, lords of the earth, suddenly dissolve into dust. It all comes down to this. You make all this series of left turns, you go around in circles to cross the finishing line, which is a death witnessed by a silent creation. No one's cheering in the stands. Solomon wants to get that across. Then he moves on from being an historian to being an astronomer. Verse 5, The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. Solomon is continuing his argument here. He's trying to reinforce man's wearisome labor under the sun. It's not unlike the sun in its ceaseless activity. Solomon employs here a very colorful verb when he describes the endless exertion of the sun. Notice that word hasten. It's a Hebrew term that means to pant from exhaustion. And what Solomon does here is he pictures the sun as a runner that gets up in the morning and runs its course until evening. The next day it will have to put on its running shoes again and do it all over again. The sun is busy from sunrise to sunset doing its work seven days a week, 52 weeks a year in unblinking consistency. Up and down, round and round with its work never done. It is exhausting itself to no determined end. The sun is active. It's repetitive, but it's not progressive. And Solomon says, that can be what life's like. You can be active, repetitive, but we're not very often making any progress. We rise with the sun. We go to bed at its sinking. And like the sun, we finish the day exhausted and unfulfilled. That's Solomon's picture here. Let me go on a little bit of a rabbit trail. I think Solomon again has made his point. One generation comes, one generation goes, the earth remains, the sun rises, the sun sets and goes about its breathless activity. And we rise under that rising sun and we do the same. And we run the marathon of life's treadmill. But I want to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail here. I find this, this interesting because if we, if we look at Solomon's description here in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 1 and compare it to Psalm 19 verse 5, I think we'll discover something interesting. Go back to Psalm 19 and verse 5. David, Solomon's father, is talking about the glory of God displayed in the firmament and in creation's handiwork. And speaking of the Son... Amidst the heavens, he said, a tabernacle for the sun. Look at verse 5, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. David is looking at the sun, but he's seeing it differently from his son. He describes the sun as, as, as that which dominates the heavens, that which displays the glory of God. And it's like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. It's like the young man eager to get out of his house and down to the church, to the altar to marry his sweetheart. And then it's pictured as um, a great runner, strong man, running the race. Like a champion runner, it races its course, it makes its circuit. And you'll see here that the mood is a mood of wonder and celebration. And yet when you compare that to Ecclesiastes, you have a mood of pessimism and a lack of excitement. Solomon, instead of seeing the sun as a vigorous champion who easily runs its course and wins with time to spare, Solomon pictures the sun as a runner who's at the back of the pack, who flops exhausted across the finish, dead last, in no shape to run the next race tomorrow. Do you see the striking contrast here to how life looks when you take God out of the equation? See, David is worshiping God in Psalm 19. He's worshiping the God who resides above the sun, who made the sun. And the sun is a window into the glory and majesty and power of God. It displays his invisible attributes. That's how David views it. But remember, Solomon's writing on purpose here from a humanistic horizontal viewpoint. And I want you to see that when you rule God out, when you take an under the sun perspective of things, not only will you paint yourself into a hopeless corner, because those who are without God are without hope, says Paul. Not only will you paint yourself into a hopeless corner, life will lose its color. The world will seem gray and flat. The creation will no longer reflect the glory of God. It will simply illustrate the wearisomeness of life. There's two different messages come out of looking at the sun. One man worships the God who resides above it. The other man looks at it from a human perspective, ruling God out of the equation. And I think that's interesting. I think it reminds us that the man who worships God, the man who knows the God above the sun, who made the sun. In looking at the sun, he will see things that the man who lives under the sun without God doesn't see. When we shut God out of our lives, things look differently. Life becomes painted in gray tones. The man who closes his eyes to God doesn't see as much as the man who has the eyes of his understanding opened by the grace of God and the glory of God. That's the fact. Didn't John Newton put it this way in the hymn Amazing Grace? I once was blind, but now I see. When I was growing up in Northern Ireland, we used to sing a beautiful old hymn entitled Loved with Everlasting Love. Led by grace that love, to know And the second verse brings us to consider the fact that when a man comes to know God, he sees things differently. Listen to the stanza. Heaven above is softer blue, earth around is sweeter green, something lives in every hue, Christless eyes have never seen. In fact, Albert Einstein picks this this up, doesn't he? In the 1930s, Albert Einstein wrote, that a religious sense of the mysterious is the most beautiful and deepest experience a man can have, he who never had this experience seems to me, if not dead, then at least blind. In fact, I would add to that, colorblind is, is the apt metaphor. Life becomes flat. Life becomes gray. Everything is viewed without hope and meaning. We become colorblind That's what happened to Charles Darwin early on in his life when he visited the Brazilian rainforests. He was taken captive by feelings of wonder and admiration and devotion. But increasingly he's influenced by a philosophy of naturalism. He looks at life under the sun and nothing more. God has ruled out. In the beginning there is no God. And all he does is try and compute empirical data. And he says this, But now the grandest schemes would not cause any such convictions and feelings to rise in my heart. It may be truly said that I am like a man who has become colorblind. In fact, he wrote to a friend, quote, I am glad you are at the Messiah. It is the one thing I should like to hear again, but I dare say I should find my soul too dried up to appreciate it as in old days. And then I should feel very flat for it is a horrid bore to feel as I constantly do, that I am withered, a withered leaf for every subject except science. Sad commentary on a life, isn't it? Without God. Solomon kind of gives us a window into that as he looks at the sun. He just sees it it breathless, panting across the finish line of a day to rub its eyes in the morning and take its aching legs on another run for which it has no enthusiasm. But on the other hand, if you look at the sun, you see a, a burning ball of energy and light and radiance it brings light and life to earth. And it's there because the God above the sun made it so that we might enjoy it as we live under it. Solomon now moves on. He not only casts himself as an historian, as an astronomer, he casts himself now in verses 6 through 7 as a meteorologist. Solomon now looks at the wind and the water, having looked at the sun and the wind and the water fare no better than the sun. The wind is simply running around in circles. A lot of noise, a a lot of fury, but little resolution. Just repetitiveness. If the sun implies an east to west course, the wind is described as moving north to south, which is often the case in Palestine. And it seems to be that Solomon is saying this, whatever direction you look, North, south, east, or west, you're met by a never-ending motion and commotion of restless nature. And all echoes our own sense of monotony and the repetitiveness of life. Solomon moves from the wind to the water, doesn't he, here? He tells us that uh, the rivers pour into the sea, but the sea is never full. Verse 7. It's as if the oceans... And the seas of this world are one gigantic bathtub with a plug pulled out. Rivers continually pour into them, but they never fill up. They never crest. And we know why, don't we? We know about the hydrological cycle. There's evaporation, there's distillation. The rivers fill the sea, the evaporation fills the clouds, and the rain fills the rivers. And it all begins again in this unending, restless, cycle of motion and commotion in the natural world. In fact, many commentators believe that Solomon probably had the Dead Sea in mind. If you've ever visited the Dead Sea, you'll know that it's landlocked. The River Jordan pours into it, but the Dead Sea never crests. The water just evaporates. And the Dead Sea, along with the oceans of this world, picture the insatiable appetite for life that is never filled, never fulfilled. Now, I think the preacher's made his point, hasn't he? And profit to life. If you look at it from a many different angles, nothing much comes of it. There's nothing much to show for it. There's a certain monotony to man's experience, just as to the natural world, that is exhausting and exasperating. You've got this dust-to-dust cycle of each generation passing and being followed by another. You've got a puffing and panting sun. You've got a never-turning wind. You've got unfulfilled and unfilled seas that all prove the case. That life under the sun apart from God and an understanding of Genesis is just the same old, same old with no real gain
1: that's philip DeCoursey giving us direction for a life in christ that delivers great gain this is know the truth heard all week long on this station and 24 7 on the web if you missed any of the messages in our new series titled quest for the best listen online at ktt.org or order the complete study on cd when you call 888-644-8811 Now, it's no exaggeration that Know the Truth wouldn't be here without you. It's the financial support of faithful listeners like you that makes it possible for us to share the bold and convicting Bible teaching of Philip DeCourcy all through the year. And today we hope you'll stand with us by making a generous donation to keep Know the Truth coming to you and others in your community. Give today and we'll send you Philip's newest book, Addressing the All Too Common Problem of Anxiety. This modern epidemic plagues students, mothers and fathers, pastors, even retirees. So Philip wrote a book that tackles the issue with the truth of Scripture. The book is titled, Help, I'm Anxious. Now, Philip isn't just telling you to stop your worrying. He's giving you specific biblical guidelines to bolster you with God's peace and joy. Request the book, Help, I'm Anxious, when you make a generous donation of $25 or more to know the truth. You can call in your donation to 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And when you visit our website, consider making an even greater impact by becoming one of our Truth Ambassadors. These faithful friends commit to give a monthly donation of $25, $50, even $100. Join the team and ensure that you, your community, and people across America keep learning to know the truth partner with us today when you sign up online at ktt.org that's all our time now i'm your host wayne shepherd inviting you to come back tomorrow to hear another lesson from philip de here on know the truth today's program was produced and sponsored by know the truth incorporated jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free
0: How many sales are you missing because you're not effectively using social media marketing? The vast majority of the population is on social media, shopping. We're Salem Surround. We take the mystery of digital marketing off your shoulders, letting you run your business while we deliver customers. There are no limitations on where you can reach customers with Salem Surround. Total market penetration for increased ROI. Learn more by logging on to surrounddc.com. Surrounddc.com. Here's Dr. Charles Stanley. You can set your mind on the things of the world. You can set your mind on things of God. And the way you maintain your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit and live the Spirit-filled life is setting our mind on those things, fixing our mind on those things, and not tolerating anything else.
1: Hear the series, The Spirit-Filled Life, this week on In Touch with Dr. Charles Stanley.
0: Weekday mornings at 1130 on AM 780 WAVA. The next time